A collection of sentiments on freedom from one black femme to another. Join me in sitting as we reimagine liberation in the most decadent future possible. this it's, it's going to be one hour of me just giggling because i'm being bashful apparently literally just sitting in my bedroom in my apartment <laughs> and feeling so shy as i um am prepping to record this or currently recording this you know time is no object anyway thank you so much for deciding to listen in on some thoughts that I have and being curious. Curiosity is probably my biggest love language. Like if someone just asks me enough questions, I'm like, bet we are going to get along great because I'm going to ask you only a thousand bajillion and a half questions. So um, today, I am going to be talking about hope as praxis. Praxis meaning, you know, how do we take a concept or a theory and actualize it into action or, yeah, actually just into action, into some sort of enactment, something tangible, right? Um, But before we get into that, Um, I will introduce myself. So um, my name is Isha. I currently live in Oakland, California by way of H-Town, by way of Haiti. I am first generation Haitian American and I am a divine lover of La Sirene, my people and the earth. So if this message is reaching you, I feel that it is no sort of um, accident. And I'm really excited to be able to share this with y'all. I was talking to a good friend of mine a couple of days ago. And um, I was calling him. He's like all the way in Mexico right now. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he was like, you know, we're not that far apart because... So I'm hearing your voice, it's like you're in my head, like you're, and if I listen closely enough, then I'm able to listen to things from your perspective, and like now he's able, he felt like he was able to actually like fully hear me because there wasn't any separation, um, and I'm noticing that I've been really intentional about listening with my whole body lately, like even in terms of like how I um, how I connect with people, like choosing to connect with people whenever I feel I am fully prepared to be present and, you know, not asking someone how they're doing if I'm not prepared to actually sit down and listen. Um, and that's been really, really interesting because, um, it's like this new fashion I'm in of, you know, taking care of myself and, Yeah, so anyways, what I'm here to say, though, (laughs) is thank you for, you know, allowing me to enter your space, whether that be, you know, on your headphones or your speaker um, or whatever that is. I honestly believe those are the only two options I can think of outside of some sort of caption 
um, I've thing. However, this is reaching you though. Um, thank you for allowing my ideas and some of my words be welcomed into your mind for however long we are together. And what I can avow to each of you and to myself is that I will keep this corner of your mind clean and I will respect it with the utmost integrity and authenticity. Um, my main intention and my main goal in recording this and in considering um, some of these sentiments that I'm having around hope is that I'm hoping that we, haha, um, that we are able to redirect our sense of placing hope on other things, but yet placing a hope in the fact that we have a, an actualized self-trust and that, you know, we'll feel good that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be able to hope better because we are more trustworthy because we've proven to ourselves that we are to be trusted and that, you know, the people are, I'm sorry, that the conditions around us, um, don't have the power to take away that hope and that trust that we've already cultivated. So I'm hoping that this can offer some questions, some insight, and maybe serve us as like some sort of compass based off of like my own experiences. And, um, you know, we're in like a really um, pivotal point, I feel like. And I've been, you know, I'm going to be quoting a lot about, a lot from Octavia Butler and several other um, black femme liberationists. And it's all because I really just feel like they're the blueprint, but also like Octavia Butler talks so much about change. Of course, in her, her series of uh, the Earthseed series and the Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, and I have yet to find the the portion of Parable of the Trickster, but I will. If you guys haven't read it, please, please, please do look it up. Octavia Butler, um, Parable of the Sower is a great place to start. Um, you guys might remember her because whenever Donald Trump was elected in 2016, um, it was the first time that people kind of, well, people that I knew, um, started to kind of see her as a prophet because she wrote in Parable of the Talents, which I believe was published in the late 80s, she wrote about um, a bigoted, rich, white president who would run for pres presidency in the year 2032 or something on the slogan, Make America Great Again. And she also wrote several other things, but the main reason why I've been really considering Parable of the Sower isn't only because of this like dystopian renaissance future that she um, so eloquently and yet so I guess you could say like nourishingly kind of like describes because it's never like whenever I read Octavia Butler talk about this like really disgusting terrifying often visceral um, scenes I never really feel like oh like there's no way out and that's the only way but it's like she grounds me in it and then she's like hey but all things can change right and and so thinking of this notion of change and then thinking about hope you know I've just been like hmm like how how do change and hope and trust and 
you know, personal power, like how are all those things connected? Right. So um, I'm going to start out by talking about um, what I define as hope. And then we'll get into some questions that I have. And then um, each question will be followed by a mantra, um, a mantra that I've kind of either gotten directly from black femme uh, liberationists or black folk I found inspirational or um, mantras that I've just kind of that are their words but I've just kind of like shifted it out around for like maybe first person or something um, but I got this idea for the mantras from Alexis Pauline Gums in her black feminist breathing chorus um, she has one with Tony Cade Bambara um, that I find really, 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 really like. Oh, like once I listened to that, I'm telling you, once I listened to um, her recording for Tony Cade Bambara, where she repeats 108 times um, the quote, the most effective way to do it is to do it, which is a mantra we'll also be using today. Um, and I'm telling you the first time I heard that, <laughs> I was also in a very unique setting because I was like at, um, Ashara Ekundayo gallery, which is an amazing, or which was, um, an amazing gallery in West Oakland that has, um, that specifically showcases like black femme art. And we got it, it's like 50, 40 to 50 um, of us gathering and we're saying and repeating after Alexis Pauline Gums 108 times in different incantations and cadences at different times and all that. We're just repeating the most effective way to do it is to do it. And when I tell you that moved so many things for me, ah, okay. So I'll be sure to include that. <laughs> I'll be sure to include that in um, the links or the show notes or whatever, because I don't even know um, necessarily exactly what platform I'm going to be posting this to. This is just one of my ways of following through. So, um, wow, 10 minutes of me just introducing it. Yeesh, love myself. Okay, so hope as praxis. Um, the way that I am describing hope is that hope and trust are both practices in the fact that they require action. Because I can't trust something that isn't consistent. And hope is the action that makes trust possible. So whenever I place trust in myself and the fact that every possibility is possible, now I'm able to focus on bringing about the most liberatory possibility. And whenever we place our trust in the essence of all things, which is that all things are possible, then we're able to invest in the most pleasurable future for black, brown, indigenous people around the world. Um, and for those of us who are working in alignment with transcendental revolution by any means necessary, right? And, you know, and it's, and it, and it's really interesting because whenever I came, whenever I started thinking about like hope as something that you have to defiantly choose in situations whenever it's really like, like you could never find hope in the tangible and the physical or in the external. You, you can only find hope because you just know in the truth that all things are possible. Then it's like, you know, then I started to feel like, damn, but 
but what about the fact that like everything that we experience for the most part the things that we've like had to value have had to be physical and whenever we think about whenever I think about the physical for myself as a black femme person um and Haitian at that is that you know physical attacks have regularly come to me um for for myself my ancestors just historically and presently um and you know external like ex and and attacks externally from external forces i mean like physical sociological biological then we can even think about it spiritually um linguistically even how our language has been used to to like target us and either cut us off from access to hope or whatever that is um then like all of those kind of attacks have definitely like I guess you could say like rubbed against my my ability sometimes to have faith in systems but but the thing is is that we're <laughs> we're never we were never meant to have faith in systems themselves and when I say this I've been thinking about like what are systems like what is a systems function and what does a system do and I've been thinking a lot about like the airplane <laughs> because um I've been on one recently that's another story for another time but you know an airplane was modeled after a bird right and like the aerodynamics of a bird and like they couldn't get it right until they had really studied like nature and there's so many other systems even if you look at cities they look like lungs or bloodstreams and all and rivers look like bloodstreams I mean and all of those things and thinking of how um well not how rivers look like bloodstreams but rather how cities how like landscapes are modeled off of nervous systems and things like that um and i think of how systems are often a derivative of something but they're never actually the very thing like a system is always going to be an amalgamation of many things that it has copied and it'll always copy something that'll help it sustain itself so that it can live longer, multiply, or become bigger, similar to a virus. That was shade. And, <laughs> and you know, and I think that, you know, whenever I feel like I'm hopeless or like I don't have faith, it's usually because I'm, I'm placing my, my faith and my hope and my trust in something external. But that thing won't last, you know? Like... The external things are only going to be, if I ever place my hope in something external, then, you know, we got to be prepared. If we're placing our hope in external factors and external things, then we got to be prepared to realize, like, those things are temporary and they will break down. And we've been known that these things would, right? But these, this idea of, like, um, a system giving me a solution so that I can get out is like, nah, bro, that's, that's not going to happen because then the system would crumble and be unnecessary. And then how would it ever expand, get bigger? Or in, in this case, in the case of the American state, then how would it oppress me and make more money off of me? So I, I, I can't, and I know that I can't, and that my ancestors knew that we couldn't, but maybe, you know, I've become a little bit comfortable. And I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of us have, unfortunately, um, and also have had the privilege of becoming a little too comfortable 
Um, and I really feel like, you know, we've known that these things would work because all of those like false options that it presented us with, excuse me, all of those false options, false choices like one or the other or one thing for two things or sacrifice or depravity or holding off on pleasure until that system has granted me a reward. Um, I just know that that's not the case. My ancestors know that that's not the case. And, you know, I know how my ancestors knew that because there was a point when someone in someone somewhere was on a field, um, definitely maybe having um, experienced freedom or, you know, not being a slave before, but maybe we're talking about two to three generations into only knowing the plantation um, and yet still being able to contemplate freedom, you know, and they don't talk about how often um, slave revolts happened, even on, you know, a United States soil. They weren't documenting those. And I'm not to say like, oh, yeah, now we have to um, now we got to think about the fact that there is a whole bunch of slaves who went free, but more thinking about like how. How did our ancestors, how did some of our ancestors, because surely it wasn't all of us, but how did someone who had only seen something every day and only known people to have had this one experience and still decided, like, no, there's another option available, decided to leave and to risk that? And or even even if they were on that um, on that land, in that field, like, how were they contemplating joy, freedom? It's like because that's innate in us right? And there's some semblance, there's something natural that I had them like, like this natural beacon of light that's like, no, this isn't it. There is an alternative. There is an alternative. And um, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm getting into because I just feel like if I'm, if I'm ever afraid to take a step in like the present moment, because I'm afraid of how something has happened in the past, then I'm in active defiance of my ancestral rights. Like that's just how I feel because it's like, yo, like, and you know, here's the thing that there are, there have been conditions that have been worse than they are right now. I'm just going to be very blatant and there has still always been a way to either reimagine better, to physically bring ourselves into a, a space of, of betterness, um, and to also manage to survive. But I think that we have already become, as black folk, I feel like we have already become so, so much more, we've already become so much more free. You know, like we've already witnessed that there's alternative roads to freedom. We have seen countless revolutions. We have seen the way that the systems are crumbling and that there's ways for us to finesse us. We've seen loopholes. We've seen these things. And um, so I think that, you know, for us to say that we're hopeless, it's like almost like, like, nah, we're not hopeless. We can't be because... If we if we were to be hopeless, then it would be because we're placing our hope in something that we already knew wasn't made for us, right? So I think this is just coming to me because I don't want people. I I just don't like this this feeling that that's going around of like, 
oh shit's never gonna go back to normal this is gonna be the way it is forever and you know I'm just gonna I don't know what's gonna happen I don't know what's gonna happen and like this I don't know what's gonna happen this I don't know what's gonna happen and you know and I feel deeply 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 I feel and it's not my intention to offend but I really deeply feel for those of us who do need to process who do need to take space and sit down and be like you know what's happening um and to actually like take space and time like that's also an action that's also a practice right of listening to oneself of demonstrating hope and the ability of saying like hey I know that I can take this rest because my hope relies on the fact that even though I take a rest the whole world won't end so I'm not saying like no you gotta push you gotta push you gotta work hard no but I am saying that we have to bring hope into our collective atmosphere. We really, it's so important for us to to come out and, and say, you know what, not only do I know that there's going to be better, because I might fucking not, but I do know that I can hope for better. And that hope is better, I'm better able to believe what I'm saying, you know, I'm better able to, instead of just relinquishing hope to being something that I relinquish to um, my circumstances, like, I ain't got shit else to do, so I'm just going to hope it gets better, I can also strengthen that trust and partner with hope, and partner with change, and partner with trust, by being like, yo, I hope for something, and while I'm hoping, these are the actions that I'm taking to make that hope a reality, right, and, you know, like I said, I was um, raised, rather, in Houston, Texas, and in the South, you know, I grew up a little bit in the church. By the time I was, like, 12 years old, I came out of the closet to my mom, not as queer at that point, although I am queer, but I came out to her as not being a Christian, and she was so, she was so done, um, but I, I still always understood the the Bible as a book of metaphors. And still to this day, I will give my friends messages from Psalms. Of course, we all know that is a powerful book. Um, but, you know, in the South, we have this saying that's like, you got to meet God halfway. And depending on how you look at God, for me, the way that I look at God is like, God is everything, God is literally everything in the sense that God is the present moment. Like, how do I honor it? How do I show up? How do I abide by the needs that the present moments are calling for instead of having, like, commandments or something? Like, how am I presently and actively showcasing love? And I feel like the present moment is God, right? But um, I also really appreciate this this paragraph that I'm about to share from um, Octavia Butler, and it is from her part in Earthseed, the Book of the Living from Parable of the Sower. And this, in this um, poem, she writes, a victim of God may, through learning adaptation, become a partner of God. A victim of God may, through forethought and planning, become a shaper of God. Or a victim of God may, through short-sightedness and fear, remain God's victim, God's plaything, or God's prey. And I really, really, really just fuck with that. Uh, through forethought and planning, you can become a shaper of God. 
Or through short-sightedness and fear, you can remain God's victim. Like, whatever God means to you. Like, you know, it can be the present moment. It can be the trees. And it can also be, you know, an entity. Whatever God is, it's like, that that name is, is substitutable. But it's like, we can shape that. We can shape what we're able to do. We can shape the life around us. Every single decision that we make is our shaping. It's like our hands on, you know, the clay of time or something. And, you know, it's not to say like that there aren't other larger systems or things that stop us from being able to do that, right? And it's not to say that those systems shouldn't be accountable because they do need to be accountable. They will be held accountable and they must be. And that is where action and hope and trust come in. But what it is to say is that it's safe for me to trust that I am powerful enough to influence the trajectory of my universe. Because if not me, then who? If I, if I can't trust in myself, then who can I trust? Like, and not even to say, like, you got to love yourself first before, you know, all things are a process. But especially whenever we're talking about hope and like, oh, man, it's, it's a hopeless time. Times are dark. It's like, that's the time whenever it's even more important for us to practice small ways to just remind ourselves, like, hey, even whenever all this external things, all this, ex- all these external uh, shits fall through, we're still, you're still here. We're still here. We're still able to breathe. We still have the blueprint biologically in our DNA, through memories, accessing through our senses, through the present moment, through absolutely every single experience that we have had. Because I know for a fact that, you know, it's like, I have survived every single thing that I thought I wouldn't. And every time that I survived, even whenever I was just like, no, I'm not going to make it through this. I, I can't possibly imagine. Thinking back to my ancestors who were subjected to terrible things. Thinking back to all of the, the geniuses, the scientists, the activists, the artists, those of us who, who shaped the current moment into something that that would transcend time. Every time that we thought that we, we couldn't survive something, we did. And we always, every single time, we were gifted a new tool. So what tools do we have in our toolbox? And, and instead of just, you know, admiring them, now is such an important time for, for people to, for us to share our tools. Whether that tool be your music, your art project, your fucking podcast that you don't, you're not making any sense on like me. Listen to me. I know you hear that static in the background, but we're doing it, baby. We're doing it. Because if I cannot shape my reality, if I, if I don't have the power to shape one, one thing in my life, you know, I literally started off by, um, like, oh my God. No, it hasn't been 10 years yet. I was like, oh my God. I started meditating in 2012 and I'm 26 years old now. <laughs> um, I was about to say it's been 10 years, you know. 
But, you know, I remember whenever I first started meditating, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so you mean, like, I remember I was, like, listening to a TED Talk or something in my University of Texas at San Antonio, all the way in Bandera in San Antonio, this little tiny ass. I got kicked out of that apartment for smoking mad blunts. I was just sad and high all the time and lonely and then I think I found like an all in Alan Watts video and then I started watching like this video on like mushrooms and like sacred I don't know anyway somehow I got to this part where this person was talking about meditation and they were like excuse me they were like you know you don't really see the effects of meditation until six years like it's you don't really start to even really see you know and at the time and and I can also say that's not true you know but I remember at the time that whenever I heard that I was like oh god I'm never gonna make it I guess I'm never going to reach bliss or nirvana or whatever that was but I knew at that point I was like I'm interested in this though like something about it, I was like, oh, I can't sit still. I have to try. And I didn't try every single day for starting that from that moment forward. It was literally like, I think the reason why they might say six years is because maybe it takes you six years to realize that it has value and that you should do it every day. And the more often you do it, the more you just see it immediately making effects. But at the beginning, I was like, you know, I'm a meditate. And I would be like, I would remember like every seven months, I'd be like, yo, it's about that time. Woo woo. But the thing is, if I had not taken that one step, just a one step to show myself like there's an alternative possible, like this feeling that I was feeling, I knew that there is another option, even though I couldn't necessarily see it. Like I didn't have people around me who were meditating. I was really in, I was kind of isolated at that point in my life. But the thing is, is that I knew that I had to be the one to start to shape that. And it had to start off small. It had to start off small because thinking that it, it was immediately going to be me sitting down on my meditation pillow for one hour, first of all, nah. And second of all, all that created for me at the beginning was the sensation of just like tearing myself down because I would feel so guilty. I'd set these huge goals, and then I was like, oh man, so I'm not reaching any of them. Like, I was supposed to be Deepak Chopra with Kinky Twist, yet there I was, smoking Mad Blunts, and I think at the time I was probably watching Adult Swim, don't quote me, forgive me, you know? Um, but what I've, oh, that was rude. Okay. <laughs> um, how's my speaker going out? Um, but what was I talking about? Yeah, so everything that, you know, I've always been granted a new tool. So I think what's really important, what I found to be really important for me is to create um, time to look at what, what tools I already have. Like, what things do I do well? What things have, like, people always commented on that, you know, do bring me joy? 
um, or what are things that I myself have always been attracted to? Because I also think that the things that we are attracted to doing, there's a reason for it. Like if even if you have never picked up a camera, but you've always just been like, oh, I, want, I like photography, I like photography. There's a reason why, and like either we have to explore the reason why haven't we picked up a camera, or maybe it's that, you know, you're into lighting, or maybe you're just someone who's a curator, right? But we have to look at these tools because we have them all, and every experience that we have has left us with some sort of lesson, um, and sometimes the lesson is as simple as like, yeah, I want more of that or less of that, you know? <laughs> um and I also know that all of those tools are valuable. And so all of those tools are gifted to me because it's like, it's almost like a leveling up in a sense. Like every time that I do something um, challenging, every time I move with the tension instead of running away from it, now I have a whole new portal that I can unlock. And now I can trust myself because I've already gained this tool. Um, I can trust myself now to to do what has to be done and have confidence in my resilience to know that it will not be the end of the world when I fail because whatever system tells me that I'm not to be trusted because I can't do something or it won't be done correctly fuck that system like whether that be through intention or impact that system is not to be trusted because it has no allegiance to me. So how am I going to hold more allegiance to that system, something outside of myself, something that was benefiting off of like the blood and the sweat and the disembodiment of me and my people? How am I going to believe in that other than my divine intuition that's just telling me, hey, you know, I'm curious about this, this little thing over here. Why don't I spend some more time with it? Right? So I also just want to kind of go back to, I think I mentioned this already, or I was definitely thinking about it, where it's like feeling hopeless because we don't trust in something. And mostly for me, when I think about being hopeless because I'm not trusting in something, it's like in the sense of like whenever, <laughs> it's almost like I just got this vision of someone like about to like, do like you know that stabby hand game where they're <laughs> where they're just like I don't know like your hands are spread flat on the table and then someone's just like stabbing the space in between them um and I don't know that's not the metaphor I'm really bad at metaphors y'all <laughs> but <laughs> but I but I'm also thinking of like someone who like a bully who shows you like, hey, what hand is my gift in? And then if you don't get it right, then I'm going to slap you. It's like, no, the world doesn't work like that. Um, it can, <laughs> but, I, but I know that that world, the, the world that works like that, the opportunities that work like that, like that punish me if I don't, you know, move accordingly to their wishes or if I don't do something that makes them stronger or prove something to them. If you're going to punish me for that, fuck you. I don't know you. I don't want to be like, I don't want to hang out with you. You know, and so feeling hopeless because we don't trust is only valid if we're talking about like a perishable hope. And I know that the hope that I have for me, my people in the universe is so much more valuable whenever it's not perishable. Because any sort of hope that like relies on flesh or systems, it like that's of course like I'm not that's shady. I'm not going to trust it. 
Like, it's already enough to be untrustworthy because those things are all temporary. All of those things only be around for as long as they can be. You know, they might change. But, you know, another thing might take its place and it may even be a similar thing, but it will never be, you know, the thing itself because the only thing that is ever left is essence. And the way that I think of essence is like the reason that something is created or the time that minds have invested into it or the impact it has on the world that it reflects, right? And whatever I can trust in the essence of things, which is like all things are possible, the essence of things is that all things are possible, you know, also known as energy, also known as um, like existence, also known as God, also known as me, also known as you, also known as us. Like, and not even talking about us in the sense of the physical body, but like the essence of us, which is we're here to enjoy life, I feel, you know? And whenever I trust the essence of that, that the world is working with me, and that if I work with it, you know, because the world, even thinking of that, like the world is working with me, if I am moving in a place where I'm constantly like against myself, and I'm not listening to that intuition that tells me, hey, you need to do this, or hey, this is a cool idea, or hey, this feels good, then the world is going to keep moving with me and that's going to keep showing me things that are only kind of subpar because I'm not even noticing the other things. So it's like, all right, so let's just keep moving with this. Like we know like your vibe attracts your tribe, all those things. But whenever I can trust in the essence of things, then I'm empowered to approach the world that I want to create, right? Wow, I'm really out here talking. Excuse me, hold on. okay so we have gotten to the part in the podcast where we are going to be reviewing some of the questions that I have some of the sentiments that I have around the questions um and I'm hoping that you guys are that you guys will take these questions into consideration and maybe even like journal them I think that they're great journaling prompts Um, I'm definitely going to be working with them. Um, And, you know, the answers to these questions, I think, are going to be different for everyone. But I think that the answers or even the questions, it serves as like a compass for truth. And from there, we're able to find out what happens next or even how to settle deeper into what's happening right now. Right. So the first question that I've been considering is, when the external and the physical is not to be trusted, then where do I place my hope? Um, and I'm thinking about this in terms of like validation from like outside things. Like whenever I have an idea, but it doesn't really go that well, or whenever I am working towards this goal but something comes up against it um you know now it's like oh I'm hopeless like I tried but it it didn't work like you know now I can I can say it's done I already tried it now I gotta sit down but it's like I can't place my hope in that (laughs) like you know in the fact that um 
it didn't go as I intended or the way that I wished or quote unquote hoped it would. Um, but instead, I just have to be able to continue forward with the integrity of knowing that like, hey, we have like our 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 job here is to learn and we can't ever be too too prideful as to think that we don't have space to like we don't have spaces to grow like to think that the first time we do something it's going to be perfect it's only harming ourselves and it's also like lightweight pretty egotistical to think that the thing that you do is going to be as good as something that someone's been working on for like 20, 30 years, because it's like, yo, 20, 30 years is work. Or like, not only that, but just thinking of like this idea that you have, like that we have these ideas that we have in our head when we're like, no, this has to go this way. Like, I want to make sure that I have this thing and this thing and this thing. All right. And then I will start. But that's all just like, I call that falsely justified stagnation. Um, And it's because a lot of the time, a lot of time can be wasted in pursuit of false perfection. And in this pursuit, we assume that we know every variable, perspective, and possibility better than, you know, essence, energy, God, me, you, us, right? And really all that shows is our distrust in that, in the essence, energy, God, me, you, us, because we don't trust in its ability in a higher power's ability to both know something more than we do and to be working in our favor. And it's like falsely justified stagnation breeds perfection as the enemy of the good. Falsely just, oh, I said that. Falsely, <laughs> falsely justified stagnation breeds perfection as the enemy of the good. And, whew, you know how sometimes you you think of some stuff and you say it and then you're like, wow, <laughs> yeah, because it's like, and this is for me too. This is for me too because it's it's this false idea that if we don't make a decision, um, then you know something else will make a decision for us, or maybe if we procrastinate, then we get to say it wasn't, you know, we didn't give it our all anyway. Um, or just relinquishing our power to someone or something else because we feel like if it goes wrong, then we don't have to be alone with with it or responsible for the decision that is made. Um, and like, you know, just asking, uh, this comes in the form, you know, in like the spiritual quote unquote community where people are like, I'm asking for a sign. I'm asking for a sign. I'm asking for a sign. And it's like, y'all, um, less interpreting and more working. It's necessary. <laughs> like, it's just real, even with with that. So I'm just going to leave that at that. Um, and it's because decisions are always made. And therefore, consequences are always going to be dealt, both for action and inaction. So we do get to choose and invest in, once again, this is another opportunity to invest in the most pleasurable future um, for ourselves. Every decision is an opportunity for us to choose to invest in 
the most pleasurable future for ourselves, whether that be through, you know, um, doing something that you thought you couldn't do and doing it anyway, or whatever that is. But what's really important is that we're able to discern um, the experiences gifted to us by making decisions to take action in places where stagnation might have appeared as like temporarily um more beneficial but we but we also understand that we are growing so we will always move we will always change we will always grow it's just our our job is to influence in which direction we go and we get to once again like octavia butler said we get to partner with god for this right um so i also understand that it whatever decisions that i that i don't make especially whenever those decisions are ways that like oppress myself because i'm mirroring other oppressive systems instead of calling and creating space for um my inner voice to come through and i know that that leads to further personal or communal despair so instead of looking for an entirely new skill to appear or instead of wishing that I had someone else's tools or whatever that is, what things do I do well and how can I mobilize them into tangible liberation for me and my community? Right? That's a good question to ask yourself. Like, what do I do well and how can I mobilize them into a way that will make this world a better place? And when I say what do we do well, it's because, like, whenever we find out what we do really well, what we enjoy doing, then it isn't work. And, you know, how can we be also at the same time become better at the things, like, get, get better at those things that we do well? Like, how do we bring them out into a place where we're now challenged? Um, challenged to grow, not challenged by our value, right? No, so not challenging, like, am I good enough? but rather challenging, um, can I learn more about something, right? And how can we hold ourselves accountable to growing into the spaces where, we, where we're also needed? So not only looking at how do I grow from the, you know, with the skills that I have already, but also how do I, you know, use those skills into places where I'm needed? Um, and this has really been on me because I've been seeing a lot of people you know, have these ideas and just kind of sit on them. And like I'm saying, it's just too important, y'all. You guys, we have way too much, too many important messages in our minds. And the way that I think about it, too, is it's like, <sighs> the way that I think about it is if we don't share our gifts, then we're like we're like taking something away from someone else because it's like a seed is planted in our mind and it's meant to grow and we're meant to pollinate other seeds. The world is a garden, right? The earth is a garden. And whenever we're able to really kind of tap into that, tap into that feeling of like, you know, this idea that I have is sacred because it's a summation of so many of my previous experiences of so many things that I've learned and reflected on and 
I also get to bring that about and share it. Um, it's like each person is, is so unique that that will impact at least one other person and that one other person will impact at least one other person from there. And then the exponential growth and the spreading of that light, especially when done from a purely authentic and loving place, so necessary. And the mantra that goes with these questions, which is, you know, when the physical is not to be trusted, then where do I place my hope? The mantra that goes with this is the um, quote from Tony Cade Bambada, which is, the most effective way to do it is to do it. And just a tip for mantras, um, I spent a few months in an ashram studying um, Hinduism and also practicing yoga. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is that mantras are great in terms of, you know, they're great poetry sometimes. They're great little messages that you get to remember in times of need. Um, and also, pragmatically, they're great for breath work, right? So for this mantra, what I would suggest is maybe taking a deep inhale and then as you're exhaling, speaking the words. So I would do it like this. Inhale. Hold. And then I'd exhale. The most effective way to do it is to do it. Allowing my shoulders to drop, right? I do it again with an inhale. The most effective way to do it is to do it. And for the third time. Exhale. The most effective way to do it is to do it. Okay, so the second question that I have here is, where is my inner voice directing me? And by inner voice, I'm speaking to the subtle ways that our inner voice speaks to us, either through memories or um, responses, reactions in situations, whether that be physical or, you know, vocal or in, internal. Um, but also thinking of like little little ideas that come to us and like how whenever we follow through on those ideas um and i'm not talking about ideas like creative pursuits but ideas like huh i usually go you know i usually take this route to work but today i'm going to take this one um just following through on those i feel like those are usually really great surprises um and it also helps us practice how to strengthen our intuition. Um, and this is really important because we understand like the biology of the brain and how the brain is organized, right? 
like the lower part of the brain being for, you know, reactionary states, also being fight or flight mode, um, the higher mind states being like um, critical thinking, problem solving, and all of that, and how whenever we are in situations of despair, of trauma, or also, like I said, about those um, waves of panic and worry, whenever we are compulsively in that state, we're not able to hear our um, higher our higher learning or our higher mind. We're not able to access that. So we have to create that space, right? And we also create that space by being very authentic and detached from the ways that our emotions come up, how our emotions are triggered, rather, there it is, how our emotions are triggered, right, because we might not be responsible for the ways that an emotion is triggered, right, but we are absolutely responsible for the ways that we express that emotion, so while it is really safe and really actually vital to us to actually be able to sit and sit and, you know, process our emotions, we also can't sit in them for too long um, because then we do get into that space where we're not even able to process um, what that emotion is teaching us. We're just sitting there feeling it and feeling it and feeling it. Um, but often I feel like it's not even that we're feeling it. It's that we're just thinking about how much we don't want to feel it and that brings it up even more. Um, and I'm not, so I'm not talking about like succumbing to hedon excuse me succumbing to hedonism um or like laziness by just saying like oh i'm only going to feel the good things i'm only going to create space for my emotions to be good and i'm going to <laughs> you know i talked to my meditation teacher and i was like you know how do we <laughs> how do we like feel the emotion but not really feel the emotion. <laughs> and she's so sweet. She's like an old Korean lady who um, was a, a monk in Korea for like 20 something years and now lives in Oakland and is just super great. Um, but she was just like, have you ever heard of a both and? And we just started laughing and it's because it's really true. Like, this goes back to systems offering us false choices, false options, and often those things exist on a binary, you know, like thinking that one emotion is bad and that if you feel it, it is bad. And so you must never feel it because all we want to do is feel good when really all possibilities are possible. There's the fact that when I have this undesired feeling um, you know, the less desirable ones, that's what I, <laughs> that sounds just made me think of like some sleazy words walking around at night, just bad, but like, you know, guilt, guilt is over there, just wiping its butt in the corner, just afraid, then we've got shame, shame is like pointing a finger at guilt, then we've got like, uh, anger 
angry like it's the one that put them in the street and is just like beating himself up i don't know man i see some really wild stuff but you know but the real thing is like but whenever we and that's also that oh damn that is so real <sighs> wow I've been learning how to personify my emotions. <laughs> now I really do that subconsciously. <laughs> like being able to like put like <laughs> this is so weird. It is so great. It's just like being able to like sometimes make my emotions people or like characters i'm i feel like a little bit safer around them because now i'm like like you know i just made this joke of like shame and guilt and anger um and the thing is is it's like all of those things exist but now i'm able to like kind of look at them and be like oh man like they're not this too shall pass they are not me um yet they all are they are all parts of me um, yet individually they do not make up the whole of me, you know, like they all work and they all work together to equal me, but they are not, you know, I can't fragment myself into this emotion, into that emotion, into that one, right? And so as I think about like, how do we move through, through those um, emotions, it's also like, you know, how do we take the time to grieve? How do we sit with those feelings and like actually give them, grant them their time, grant them their time and then recognize that once we've actually granted their, them their time, once we've actually been able to look at them, you know, as healthily as possible um, and as safely as possible, because sometimes, you know, you need support. Sometimes you need a, a mentor, a mental health support or you know just knowing that you'll be okay when you look at them um but once you're able to kind of look at them from all aspects then suddenly all of a sudden it's like oh now it's not that now it's not as consuming because i'm able to see where it came from and even whenever i say where it came from i'm like a little cautious because i because I'm not thinking of it where it came from as in like where did this where when was the very first time that I ever felt shame I think personally in my I've done that enough um, maybe if you've never done that ever then it's time for you to do that um, but you know and I'm not um, a doctor or, or anything um, but I think that for me there comes a point whenever we were able to recognize when we need to do that, when we need to look that far back, and also when we need to say, I'm in the present moment, right? And how, like, what space is created from there? And what do we have the power to change from that? And if we don't have power to change any of that, then how do we release control? How do we step out of compulsive, compulsively thinking about change and actually move into an empowered space of hope um, through action. So what is one thing I can do today, however small it is, to show myself that I am to be trusted? Like by trusting my ability to create my own reality, 
I decide to see the world alternatively than what temporary structures try to show me, right? So I take hopeful action that is aligned with my safety and with my capacity. So once I'm listening to that inner voice, once I have, you know, and it's not once, it is forever. Once we're able to move with those emotions and recognize them and hear them for what they are, then how are we able to now move to an inspired place to where those emotions can be transmuted into a way of influencing the shape of our lives, influencing the shape of the world around us, you know? And, you know, sometimes it's like small things like recycling a plastic bottle, like smiling at yourself in the mirror, smiling at a stranger, or, you know, even developing small ways that you're like, oh, this is like something that I do, like no one else has to know. Um, what I did for a while is I would wake up and I would just shout Ashe. Like every morning I did this maybe for like a week or two, but I would say it really, really fucking loud. And this is at a point whenever I was going through so much stuff. I had just moved to Oakland. I was working at this job that was just sucking the life out of me. I had no money. I didn't even have a bed um, in my in my bedroom. Funny that I would call it that, more like a room. Am I right? Yeah. And <laughs> and I was just like, bruh, this this isn't it. This isn't it. This is I refuse to I refuse to and I was just like, you know what? Every morning I'ma just let myself know that we ain't coming with the bullshit. So I just woke up and I said, Ah shit My roommate would just be like, Yeah, that was really cute But I'm sure she was also like, Yo, can you stop that shit? But it was just really you no, know, the reason why I did that wasn't like, Oh, like now I'm praying so now I'm gonna get a job and all my stuff is gonna be fixed because it really wasn't for two months I was just dead broke but it was more like my way of like showing myself some sort of consistency that came from myself and especially in like a time like right now when so many things are unpredictable it's like I I I do crave consistency I do also create some semblance of crave rather some semblance of control in my life and I think that instead of looking for the larger things to control instead of looking for you know external validation that like yeah you're right everything's going to be perfect you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow instead I'm able to be like here is what I can do right like here is a small way that I can create some form of control like there are smaller things that I can control I might not be able to control what happens tomorrow but I can definitely control how I start my morning yeah um and also I can definitely control how I mourn and it is safe to mourn and it is safe to mourn I know that I have in the past felt like afraid to engage with my emotions because I feel so many of them and um, I'm sure a lot of people with, you know, severe depression, anxiety can relate in that that feeling of like, I am afraid to go toward my end because I'm afraid of what happens there. I'm afraid to inspect the things that um, once suffocated me. Right. And. 
for those of you who do do suffer or are survivors of um, depression, anxiety, or whatever the gamut of mental health disorders are, I encourage you to seek out support groups, to seek out um, professionals who can, and also ask them, like, you know, how do I move with my emotions? How do I how do I create a trust in myself to where my emotions um, are, are teachers and I'm not a victim of them, right? Like thinking of God, like I'm not a victim, I'm not a plaything. And um, also I know that that has been something that I have had to really work through with a therapist as well, is like how do I feel it? Like how do I actually not run from it because I'm afraid that it'll be the end of me, right? And the mantra that goes along with this question is from Zora Neale Hurston when she says that no hour is ever eternity, but it has its right to weep. You can repeat it again on the exhale if you'd like, but I'm just going to repeat it. No hour is ever eternity, but it has its right to weep. No hour is ever eternity, but it has its right to weep. The third question I have is, what memories do I have and how can I awaken them? And this comes again in the sense of being our ancestors' wildest dreams, right? And um, I went to a lecture that Fred Moten um, was speaking of on approaching Buenaventura, and he was talking about the ways that the American state enforces like false individuation onto black people, yet while targeting our our autonomy, right? So the economy, the state was created on the profit of on the profit of our body parts, right? Yet still, we're not actually able to be fully realized as full people, um, whether that be through three-fifths or through 2020 and what's happening with COVID and the fact that more Black people are dying, right? Um, so while the state benefits off of our separation, we have always been a communal people. We've always been a people who you know, we spoke directions to liberation in drum beats when it was illegal for us to talk. And we disguised our spirits, our teachers, our our entities from back home. We disguised them in white paint when they were banned. And, you know, the Nigerian writer um, Dio Olopade um, writes in her book, The Bright Continent. Well, she uses this Yoruban term, um, kanju. Kanju is, um, it's like the level of genius and, innov and innovation bred throughout the African continent. And so it's Kanju, K-A-N-J-U. And whenever I hear that term, I just easily, I immediately think of conjure. And I think of the, the ways that black people have regularly, um, sometimes by force and circumstance, but have always created something from nothing. We have always created something from nothing. So how do, our, how do we use our ancestral skills to dismantle systems that are as old as, as them? 
how do we trust our concepts for new approaches to old problems? Because, yeah, these problems are as old as them, and they also have a lot of information for us, yet we're placed in a new circumstance, right? So where the recycled stories of our ancestors fit into and reshaping our current time. So how do we take what they have had in their different circumstances based off of the tools, the conditions, and the context that they were in and bring it down into our current moment so that we're able to use the, til the tools that we need to get to where we need to go? Right. So what tips do they have for us? And more importantly, how do we create time and space to actually hear them? And in what ways are we accessing lessons from those who are currently or who have been on similar paths? Um, it's I just think it's really important for us to set time apart to convene with ourselves and to reflect or integrate analysis on the things that we're doing. Um, and the mantra that comes here is based on Tony, uh, Dr. Toni Morrison. Um, and she says, my ancestors are an ever widening circle of hope. Um, before we even repeat that, I just, I really love this quote because Sometimes I think we can think of our ancestors as having already completed their time, having already, like, ended their cycle. Um, when life is life seems to be more spiral than cyclical, and that there is just not an endless continuum. Um, and thinking of the dead as still having potential to expand even beyond then. Um, and thinking of those who have passed and how there's still so much opportunity for their growth, um, for new forms of understanding, and also for new information to be revealed. Um, I just really appreciate that. So I'd like for us to consider that. So now we will repeat the words of Dr. Morrison. My ancestors are an ever-widening circle of hope. My ancestors are an ever-widening circle of hope. My ancestors are an ever-widening circle of hope. And since they are an ever-widening circle of hope, they're always open to us for us to go back, whether that be, you know, our ancestors of our bloodline, of our, you know, traditions, or whatever. There is someone who left something behind that can teach us something to use today. Which brings me to the next question, which is, who can I learn from? <laughs> And I know that's an important aspect to consider because we are social creatures, right? And as social creatures, we are not meant to go through life alone or feeling so isolated as if the world would never understand us. Um, 
we're not supposed to fight against, you know, day-to-day activities or just do things alone, you know, Um, whether that be projects or goals or just living day-to-day. Yet there has to be some serious, um, you know, we talk a lot about boundaries. I know we love that word, but we have to practice that, right? Everything is a practice and it is not linear. Um, so the ways, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, Savannah, and we talked about how there has to be some sort of filter for when someone who you really deeply love and care about, when they're offering you wisdom and then whenever they're offering you opinion, because whenever you know, sometimes we love people so much and we respect them so much that we take every um, expression or every interpretation they have of our experience as wisdom. When sometimes, you know, even, you know, even, even they um, just have opinions. So how do we practice that discernment? How are we able to um, know whenever it is a time that we are seeking safe community, when we're seeking um, safe and accurate, you know, reflections on areas that we need to grow, you know, whenever we have, you know, because there is a space for criticism and critique. There's also a benefit from validation because the world is a, is a classroom. And every emotion, experience, or person is a teacher. So we can collaborate with these teachers and think of new solutions or integrate insight from their experience into ours. Um, But we just have to be open to learning from every being and also be able to, you know, do what we were just talking about, which is being able to create a space for our inner voice being able to create a space to where we can say this is what I believe in or this feels good to me or this might be their truth but it doesn't have to be mine and even though it isn't my truth I can still listen well enough to learn something from theirs and that's the challenge right (laughs) whenever people are just talking you're like you don't know what the fuck you gotta say and then you gotta just be like yo but there's something about the fact that of like being able to step back and be like, wait, what are you saying? And also know when to step and, like, and also know when to step all the way back and just walk away because you're like, yo, like that's just straight opinion. Your opinion not resonating. I'm gonna walk away. Um, so we gotta be open to critique, but critique that seeks to build us into alignment with our true self, and not everybody can do that, right? And you know, going back to you know project ideas or. Um, ideas for liberation or whatever precipice or or foundation that you're setting your hope up in like you we have to be able to see whenever someone is like we have to be able to see what people are working in alignment with us and what people aren't and um also know you know who who can we look to as you know great reflections 
for us to where you know we can value their response because we we know and they have them because they have demonstrated not just because we feel like it but because they have demonstrated that um they are supportive of us because you know sometimes we we place our we place our expectation we place our confidence and our self-esteem in other people who don't even matter you know it's like why would we look to instagram and then even you know more likely here's the more realistic thing is like how often do we believe the bad things someone say about us more than we believe the good things someone say about us because we're like well you're my mom or you're my best friend or you're it's like of course that's exactly that's exactly who matters because this person has already shown you hey i love you um, and sometimes those people are going to be like, you're doing some whack. Whoa, what is that? But they're not going to tell you like that. They're going to be like, yo, come on, let's let's do it. Let's do better. We can do, you can do better. I, I have more faith in you than that. Or even just offer you, sometimes people will just offer you um, like more tools. I don't know. You know, you guys know how to do that. But the thing is, is that everyone has opinions, but not everyone has demonstrated their alliance to or their understanding of your goals. So not everyone has the wisdom that you must follow. Um, even the people who we love the most and know as eternally wise have ideas that are solely opinions. So we can recognize the value of community and also understand our roles as an individual. So who is supporting me? When and where do I... Where and when do I crave or actually need to receive external validation? And how have the people whose opinions I value demonstrated their commitment to me or the collective's well-being? And our last mantra is from Octavia Butler. And she says, All that I love or hate, need or fear, will teach me if I choose to learn. All that I love or hate, need or fear will teach me when I choose to learn. That's how we gonna say it. All that I love or hate, need or fear will teach me when I choose to learn. And lastly, all that I love or hate, need or fear will teach me when I choose to learn. So thank you guys for sticking around with me for over an hour of sentiments, questions, accusations. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but really in closing, I think I'd just like to say that hope is decadent and moving in the flow of hope should never feel forceful. Whenever we find ourselves like forcing action or forcing ourselves to respond in specific ways, we're not being hopeful. We're simply ignoring our needs and choosing to put on a false image of ourselves. And faking it until you make it in regards to hope is a destination-driven approach to hope. But hope is not a de destination. It's right here. Hope is right here. Hope is in this present moment, is in how we come forward in it. It's how we do our work. It is, you know, doing it to do it. It is in learning. Um, and the the actions that we take should be reflective of our inner our inner voice and our intuition. Listening to this guides us to doing things that are in our favor because our inner voice is always to be trusted. Whenever it is our authentic inner voice, we cultivate trust for our inner voice through reflection, active listening, and by accomplishing small trust practices daily. 
starting off with small things is ideal. And, you know, those things can be, like I said, drinking like a glass of water, smiling in the mirror, promising yourself to masturbate, screaming first thing in the morning like I be doing. But eventually those things um, become actions that we can practice um, even and we can practice taking actions even when we're afraid to take them um, because we understand that fear changes, that everything changes. Um, and that more whenever we embrace fear, feel fear, sit with it and work with it, then we're able to transmute it. And, you know, now is the only thing that we have, y'all. We need, we need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need to hear your mind. I need to hear that new song. I need to see you sleeping for more than six hours a day. I need to see you, all of you, because I know you have something to teach me. I know that aspect of yourself that you feel a little awkward about is about to hit for me so heavy because it's so unique. And I know that there is infinitely more people available who feel that way too. And all we have is right now, and we get to choose how we live it. And now is change. Now is the time that we have, and I am hopeful because all possibilities are possible. And I choose to invest my time, effort, and energy into the possibilities that are most pleasing to me, to us, and to our collective well-being. <sighs> Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for joining me in this consideration if you are interested in responding to me, please send me an email at Isha, I-S-H-A, at melanin, <laughs> M-L-N-N, heal, H-E-A-L, dot com. You can find um, more of my work, some of my photography, some articles, some film, and different projects on my website, melaninheal.com. M-L-N-N-H-E-A-L dot com. You can also follow me on Instagram at MelaninHeal, M-L-N-N-H-E-A-L dot com. Honestly, I feel like, you know those insurance videos where they're like, 877-CASH-NOW, 877-CASH-NOW, like that's me. But yeah, Melanin Heal, Movement Leading Neighbors in Need to Heal. Um, and... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this burst of vulnerability that I'm going to have to demonstrate by sharing this work. I often have struggled with taking up space. So the fact that I am an hour and 22 minutes in to recording just myself is bonkers. But I will say thank you. I appreciate you. You are loved. You are valued. You are valued. You are valued. And I can't wait to see what your mind produces. Sincerely, your BFF or your Black Femme, Freedom 